0: Here it is,
1: from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the this
2: is the shank of summertime, isn't it? It's hot all over the northern hemisphere, as far as I can tell. Maybe not in Moscow. We'll find out. Uh, speaking of which, you know, it's it's um, for those of, for those of us in show business, or for those of us near show business. It's, uh, if you're playing a character, it's important to stay in character. You don't want to slip out of character because then you're not in character. You see what I'm saying? Uh, one of my favorite stories on this subject, Ripped from Real Life, uh, involves Daniel Day-Lewis, who was uh, doing a promotional tour for his uh, Tour de Force in the motion picture Lincoln. Uh, which came out a few years ago, you may remember, or not. And uh, he was talking to an interviewer about how, and and was asked, when you're shooting the film, when you were shooting the film, Daniel, Mr. Lewis, um, did you try to stay in the character all the time? And as, as accurately as I can remember it, This this was his response. Oh, yes. Um, Matter of fact, when uh, I was on the stage, soundstage, and I wasn't in the scene, I would be sitting in my chair um, texting or tweeting as Lincoln. OMG, Mary wants me to go to the play tonight, LOL. I don't know what texting and tweeting as Lincoln might mean, but that was my best guess. Flash forward now. To This past weekend, Friday, and uh, (laughs) President Trump had delivered himself of um, an observation earlier in the week, maybe Thursday, his uh, interview in the British tabloid newspaper The Sun, owned by Rupert Murdoch. What a nutty coincidence that he had given advice to Theresa May, British Prime Minister, regarding dealing with brexit and she'd ignored it and so um that was revealed on friday morning as i say then sunday this very sunday she was on a bbc interview program with andrew ma and was asked what was the advice that uh, trump said in a later press conference with her that it had perhaps been too brutal for her to accept his advice. And it wasn't advice, he said, it was just a suggestion. So, uh, as I said, the aforementioned Andrew Marr asked Theresa May, what was the advice or the suggestion? And she said this was his suggestion for how to deal with the EU as uh, Britain prepared to leave in in um, accordance with the re- results of the referendum on Brexit. He said to her, you should sue the EU. See, that's staying in character. Hello, welcome to the show.
3: That air horn is blowing away the clear thinking That's needed to stop the loud air horn From making itself the discussion This headband, I don't think it's mine, it's the wrong size It's cutting off my circulation And making me think that it's fine And the kids are getting
2: from New Orleans, Louisiana, where um, we're just by Lake Pontchartrain and um, the the big cranes that have been by here for, I think, centuries but now are gone, which means the United States Army Corps of Engineers may finally have finished installing the new permanent pumps that are going to protect us I- as part of a system that the United States Army Corps of Engineers uh, reported a couple months ago is minimally acceptable so and it's hurricane season so hooray I'm from there I'm Harry Sheer, welcome you to this edition of the show and now ladies and gentlemen we're not number one well this is about the state of freedom of the press you've heard of about that I'm sure from members of the press if nobody else and, and there are not a lot of those left. I don't know if this has anything to do with it, the shrinking of the American journalistic fraternity, uh, which has been going on a pace for, as you know, many years. But this, is, or this, this report from Reporters Without Borders, because I guess they closed up all those bookstores now, uh, Reporters Without Borders issuing their World Press Freedom Index for this very year, and they issued it this year. So it's timely, if nothing else number 1 who's number 1 for world press free, um, for press freedom in the world in the world norway 2 sweden 3 netherlands 4 finland 5 switzerland those might not be any surprise they sometimes in all these in these indices those same nations maybe not switzerland all the time but those f- top four are in some kind of order then number six jamaica jabloody maker all right then new zealand number eight denmark number nine estonia 12 iceland 13 germany 15 ireland 16 canada canada Eighteen Australia, nineteen. Notice who I haven't mentioned yet. United Kingdom at forty, Burkina Faso right behind at forty-one. Right after Romania at number forty-four, United States number forty-five, and the index of World Press Freedom. Croatia couldn't be bothered because they're in the uh, World Cup, number sixty-nine. Ukraine 101 Brazil 102 Afghanistan 118 so they're learning from us Pakistan Mexico way down there Russia actually Mexico's right ahead of Russia imagine that and right and that right after Russia is Singapore you see what I'm saying then Brunei then Turkey then Kazakhstan country that Tony Blair used to flack for then Iraq then Egypt then Libya then I, all the countries we've mucked about with lately, and finishing up at number 180 of the least uh, free countries in terms of the press freedom, North Korea. That's nutty. By the way, Vietnam is uh, 175, right right just after Cuba, and just before Syria. So, ladies and gentlemen, number 45, that's nothing to be ashamed of, is it? Really? Really? All right, we're, needless to say, not number one. And now, news of the godly. This should, this should cheer us up a little bit, don't you think? I'm just guessing. Former Archbishop of Canterbury, George Carey, has been given back permission to preach. See? That's nice. By the Church of England. The news comes just two weeks before the child abuse inquiry over there is set to examine allegations that Carey was among senior church figures who colluded with the disgraced bishop, Peter Ball, I don't write him, I just read him, who was convicted a couple of years ago of sexually abusing vulnerable young men and boys. The former archbishop, Kerry, lost the right to preside over church services after he stood down from his role as an honorary assistant bishop Last June following the publication of a damning report criticizing the church's handling of the ball case. He's now granted permission to officiate a couple months ago after approaching the bishop of Bedford or sorry of Oxford, different Ford, to ask to be allowed to minister. The diocese said the decision didn't mean that Carey would return to his previous role as a bishop. Permission to officiate, usually granted by a bishop, to retired bishops and clergy to allow them to act as a minister in the diocese. It can be withdrawn at any time. The uh, review published last year concluded that Carey, who was Archbishop of Canterbury, that's the head of the uh, Church of England, from 1991 to 2002, 11 years, had set the tone for the church's reaction to Peter Ball, who was a bishop himself. It criticized the church for allowing Ball to continue to minister after he accepted a caution for gross indecency in 93, and stepped down as bishop of Gloucester. Lord Carey, said the head of the investigation, played the lead role in letting Ball preside over services, including baptisms as well and confirmations, as well as speaking at public schools until as late as 2007. Senior church figures, including the former archbishop, colluded with Ball to help him avoid criminal charges, her investigation found. But he's got permission to preach. The Church of England could administer personality tests for trainee priests. This is, uh, according to the Telegraph, this is motivated by their concern that they appoint as priests too many narcissists. <laughs> I think that's that's the slogan of, of this particular century, ladies and gentlemen. Too many narcissists. Look around. Look Look around. But we go on. We do go on. The uh, church is examining ways to analyze the personalities of new priests in an effort to understand the types of people it's attracting. Never too late, Department. New tests set to be considered by bishops next year could allow, could also measure how well a trainee copes with stress and being in a position of authority. The director of the church's ministry division said the tests could help, also be a useful tool in helping candidates grow in self-awareness, the church is considering the use of psychological assessment as part of the process of discernment for those seeking ordination. Experts have raised concerns that narcissistic people are more likely to be attracted to ordained ministry or the presidency, one of the two. A recent book by two North American researchers, R. Glenn Ball, no relation, and Daryl Pulse, concluded that more than 30% of ministers in a mainstream Protestant church in Canada met the... Canada. What do you met the criteria for a diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder, or NPD. A psychotherapist and former Church of England priest, Mark Vernon, says narcissists were drawn to positions of power in order to, quote, lord it over others, unquote. He adds, the church offers a particular route which would appeal to some who like the entitlement. You're called a reverend. You sit in high places. You wear special clothes. You're seen as authoritative. You have captive audiences. You're spiritually elite. Whatever it might be, people get drawn to that way that way of trying to cope with that sense of self-dissatisfaction, he said. I thought narcissists liked themselves. Clergy profiling was raised at recent hearings of the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse in England. Was, uh, they got to do something. The new policy set to be considered by bishops next year would introduce national guidance for dioceses on implementing personality testing to be introduced in 2020. That'd be 2020 vision. Church leaders have recently raised awareness of the issue of spiritual abuse where a member of the clergy uses their religious authority to coerce or exploit others. Vernon said someone with a malign type of narcissism. Oh, there's a benign sort. Really? Really? would try spiritually to exploit people. That's, that's um, I think, go check out cults to see how that happens. And Dateline Hon- uh, Honolulu. Allegations of Hawaii priests sexually assaulting children date as far back as the 1950s. So it's as Hawaiian as Poi. A detailed report. Uh, compiled by a law firm, revealed fifty-eight men associated with the Diocese of Honolulu who have been ac- accused of sexually abusing children. The report also shows a letter written by a priest with the Marinole fathers written in nineteen fifty nine to another priest on the mainland. In the letter the priest admits Hawaii was considered a quote dumping ground, unquote, for troubled clerics from the mainland, as well as from the Philippines and Guam. That's some dumping. He warned against transferring two troubled peace, priests to the islands, adding, quote, these two men might be the most dangerous out there, out here. Letter continued, if you decide to send them out, I would ask that it is made plain that we will not stand for any nonsense out here, unquote. Lawmakers have extended the window for survivors of success, uh, sexual abuse in Hawaii. The uh, local TV station K-H-O-N in Honolulu reached out to the Roman Catholic Church in Hawaii. No response as of yet. The church is silent. Imagine that. They reached out.
1: I could just about reach them from here.
2: News of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Now for your listening pleasure.
1: I just want to say one word
2: to you. Just one word. Yes,
0: sir. Are you listening? Yes, sir, I am. Micro-plastics think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. I've said.
2: Yes, we will. Microplastics in rivers have been found in much higher concentrations downstream from wastewater treatment plants. It's worse after the treatment. This is a research report covered by the Irish Times. So there's there's more to Ireland than this. In one of the first studies to identify potential sources of microplastics pollution, scientists from the University of Leeds measured microplastics concentrations up and down the stream of six wastewater treatment plants in northern England. It wasn't in Ireland, but it's reported in Ireland. They're pointing fingers across the chat. All of the plants were linked to an increase in microplastics in the rivers. On average, up to three times higher, but in one instance, by a factor of 68 plus. Microplastics, as you know, come from a wide range of materials, including tiny plastic beads found in health and beauty products, plastic fibers from clothing, and plastic flakes that break down from packaging. So dress up and eat up. And make up. There's every likelihood that similar, le- similar levels of microplastics are occurring in Irish wastewaters discharging into rivers, lakes, and the sea. The Irish EPA says the impact of them on people's health has not yet been fully assessed and determined. uh, An Irish EPA study last year identified plastic manufacturing and recycling industries, landfills, wastewater treatment plants, and septic tanks as among the main sources of microplastics in Ireland. Irish Water, that is to say the company, not the water, Irish Water doesn't talk to the press, And a good thing, too. But Irish Water confirmed that treatment of public water supplies does not remove microplastics from drinking water. So have some Dasani today, won't you? And the only option at this point is to remove them at the source. That is where they come from. Right now there's intensive global research on potential extraction techniques. We'll keep an eye on that, won't we? Microplastics are one of the least studied groups of contaminants in river systems, according to the lead author of the UK study. They may prove to be one of the biggest challenges in repairing the widespread environmental harm plastics have caused, he says. Finding key entry points of microplastics, such as wastewater treatment plants, can provide focus points to combating their distribution. He says in addition to exposing river ecosystems to microplastic, a huge quantity continues to flow downstream and then is flushed into the ocean. Well, that goes away then, right? It flushes. Recent research has found microplastics in fish stocks eaten by humans. And a global study, as you remember, detected their presence in nine varieties of bottled water. Didn't specify whether any were spring water. We need to think seriously about the role of our synthetic fabrics in long-term environmental harm. Says the leader of the research. Uh, There's four uh, further research on microplastics in Irish river waters going to be completed in a couple of years. Hey, take your time, boys. No prob. Just just one word. Microplastics. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm, won't you?
3: Soft, listen to the war. We can listen to the world
2: Hey, guess who's got com- a- a- immunity? Guess who's got an immune system? Corals Who would have thunk? Coral reefs, as you know, support eight a- or you may know. Do you know? Support a quarter of all marine life, feed hundreds of millions of people, and contribute vastly to the global economy. As you know, they're dying in mass bleaching events. Don't they have that in, in uh, L.A. every day? I'm, oh. uh, climate change warms our ocean and breaks down vital relationships between corals and energy-providing algae. I'm going to get back to that mass bleaching event, but but later. A new commentary published in Nature's Communications Biology provides hope a shift in research focus towards coral immunity will support reef conservation and restoration. Dr. Carolyn Palmer spent more than a decade examining coral health from an immunolo- immunological perspective. She's identified coral immune mechanisms and sought to understand what enables some corals to survive ocean uh, temperature rise and other challenges, while others die. Dr. Palmer discovered that corals with higher immune defenses are less likely to become diseased or to bleach. Again, who would have thought it? In her latest work, she expands on this observation, drawing on a theory from insects that explains how corals might coexist with specific microorganisms as a holobiont. I'm going to repeat that word and then you'll never hear it again. A holobiont while resisting infection or other disturbances. She also presents a model of coral susceptibility whereby investing in immunity enables coral with its microorganisms to tolerate more damage before initiating an immune response. So coral tolerance may vary among corals indicating their susceptibility to disturbances such as bleaching. No question, climate change is devastating coral reef systems, but if we're to conserve or restore them, we need to understand Coral health, what drives tolerance, and how we can promote it, she says. But, you know, one thing you do when it gets warm is you cool off. Soaring global need for cooling is foreseen by 2050. It could see world energy consumption for cooling increase fivefold as the number of cooling appliances quadruples to 14 billion this is according to a new report by the University of Birmingham in England. And the University of Birmingham? Hmm. This new report says out to provide for the first time an indication of the scale of the energy, implications of cooling for all, because we're all going to need it. Effective cooling is essential to preserve food and medicine. It underpins industry and economic growth. It's key to sustainable urbanization, as well as providing a ladder out of r- urban poverty, according to Fizz.org. That's with a P, not an F. With significant areas of the world projected to experience temperature rises, maybe beyond those which humans can survive, hey, we really don't know, do we, until we try, cooling will increasingly make much of the world bearable or even safe to live in. There are currently 3.6 billion cooling appliances around the world, and the uh, report authors forecast 14 billion devices needed by 2050 will consume five times the amount of energy currently predicted. The report states that by 2050, if we're to meet our Paris climate targets, totaling temperature increases to 2 degrees Celsius, total em- energy consumption for cooling must be limited. And uh, now, terawatts per hour. Would that be right? 6,300 terawatts per hour? It just says TWH. I used to fly them, but I think that's terawatts per hour. Without action beyond current technology capabilities and efficiency gains, cooling could account for almost, well, more than three times that amount of energy consumption per year. Right now, it's half of the limit. Even with new technologies coming on board, the annual energy requirement will be too big, the report states, that, along with aiming to reduce overall demand for it to meet climate goals, a whole new system approach to cooling is needed. You know, you could try building houses the way they did... (laughs) here in New Orleans for 200 years with high ceilings and uh, flow-through ventilation. People lived here before air conditioning. Imagine that. The report author says current projections do not consider a cooling-for-all scenario. It'll be impossible to meet the UN's sustainable development goals if we're to meet either of those relying on technology efficiency and greening electricity won't be sufficient. How to start with a system-led approach is the answer. Better harnessing a portfolio of energy resources and adopting novel technologies. Not asking how much electricity do we need to generate, but rather what is the service we require and how can we provide it in the least damaging ways. 19 cooling appliances will be sold every second over the next 30 years. and that Even that won't deliver cooling for all. To green the volume of electricity required would consume more than 80% of the IEA's projected total renewables capacity for 2050, and more than 100%. We can't have that in the event we don't achieve accelerated technological progress. The report says we've got to reduce the energy required for cooling. We've got to get industry to adopt high-efficiency cooling technologies using maintenance to deliver optimum performance. Reduce the need for cooling through better building design. What did I just say? Higher ceilings, flow-through ventilation, large windows, sunshades. You know, the thing. Instead of building just big, (laughs) big glass buildings with windows you can't even open. So, cooling for all, ladies and gentlemen. Can we have it? Do we have anything for all? News of the Warm, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
3: in your pocket keep coolly cool boy don't get hot cause man you got some high times ahead take it slow and daddy oh you can live it up and die in bed boy boy crazy boy stay loose boy breeze it buzz it easy does it Turn off the juice, boy, go, man, go. But not like a yo-yo school, boy. Just play it cool, boy, real cool. Easy action.
0: Face it, superheroes rule Hollywood. But now there's a superhero who's breaking the rules. Hey, guys, it's a special edition of Inside Extra Access tonight. Pat Mungo is off this month. I'm Mike DeVere. We all know and love the superhero genre. And Marvel Studios has Perfected it to perfection. Now, a new studio, Tremend Films, is taking it to a new level. And you'll never guess what it is until we tell you.
1: We all know the drill. Ordinary guy or gal, something happens. Bam, superpowers. Jermaine Voy is head of production for Tremend Films. And there's uh, one other piece of the formula, right? Human or creature, alien or earthling. The superhero always wears like a super skin tight uniform. You know, we like the rest of the recipe, but we do think there's an opening for a change. And that's why there's Sagman.
0: Benicio Moreno of the Hulu Plus mini hit series Los Migrants has been tapped to play the Sagman, and he was as surprised at the concept as the
1: rest of us. You know, my agent was like, dude, you got a lead role in a superhero franchise. Immediately, I hired a couple of Absolutely extreme trainers because, you know, those costumes show off everything he got. And then Mr. Roy called and he was, he was like, yeah, well, have fun, but it's not necessary. And I was like, huh? Part of the uh, origin story of uh, the character. I'm not giving away his name yet uh, for that. You, gotta, you have to buy a frigate ticket. But uh, an evil overlord on his home planet, Zalnik exiled him to Earth in a vehicle which shrank him. Two-thirds his normal size. Now the cosmic rays he encountered on the voyage, of course, they give him super strength and super hearing. But his uniform really doesn't fit tight. That's how he heard his superhero name, the Sag Man. You know, my first thought was, "You gotta be kidding me." Then I'm like, "Wait, well, a superhero is like a visual icon. And to be an icon, you've got to look like nobody else." And then I got it you know embrace the mythology and the marketing and everything in
0: the film tentatively titled Sagman the saga unfolds there are the usual threats to the future of the earth by dark and threatening forces and then as he fights to defend mankind because he doesn't look like other superheroes sagman has the additional element of surprise
1: you know as we went through the development process of the script we uh, we went back and forth on things like uh, does the saga uniform give him extra powers and, uh, you have know, to be truthful, I thought that was just bogus, you know. It took away from the integrity of the concept. Uh, after we fired the third writing team, we settled on uh, this framing. It just makes him more human and relatable. And uh, that tested off the charts. Although, you know, these days, there aren't really any charts per se.
0: Of course, Sagman finds love on his adopted new planetary home, the character Astara is played by Jessica Lack from the Disney subchannel micro series *Girls You Like*. She
1: thinks I'm like down and out uh, because she sees me in my uniform on the bus home, and so for most of the movie, <laughs> she doesn't know I'm I'm like Sagman. And uh, if she finds out, <laughs> no spoilers here. Uh, it would, or maybe will, rock her world.
0: If your appetite's been whetted for Sag Man, the saga unfolds, be patient.
1: He doesn't arrive in theaters until right after the Oscars next spring. And uh, I'll I'll tell you one thing. (laughs) That's the only connection we'll have to the Oscars. Uh, This is a people's film. And uh, so we'll see you at the Globes.
0: And that locks it for Inside Extra Access Tonight's Special Edition. Watch for our mini blasts on Snapchat, where we boil IEAT down to addictive tidbits. Till then, and for the vacationing Pat Mungo, I'm Mike Devere saying so long from El Segundo.
1: i
2: From New Orleans, this is Le Show. And now the parade of hits continues.
0: Let me tell you about the bees.
2: Yeah! Yeah! A large-scale study published by researchers from Royal Holloway University of London. Huh has drawn together the findings of a decade of agrochemical research to confirm that pesticides that are used to protect crops, well, they, they have a significant negative impact on the learning and memory, memory ability of bees. I said the learning and memory ability... The findings are published on the Journal of Applied Ecology, because what good is ecology if you can't apply it? But apply according to directions, of course. A PhD student alongside a couple of professors combined data from a large number of studies in which bees that had been exposed to pesticides had to learn about floral scents. That's a test that's commonly used to measure learning and memory in bees. Why would they have... Oh, yeah, I I guess they would... I guess that's a, a thing. I guess that's a thing for bees, is learning how flowers smell and stuff, because, hey... Who knows? They might need it in their work. The research reveals that even at very low field realistic dosages, like the ones that would be applied actually in agriculture, pesticides like your neonics have significant negative effects on bee learning and memory. I said bee learning and memory. With worker bees exposed to pesticides less likely to learn and memorize a rewarding scent. Learning abilities are a vital component of the search for food in bees because individuals must remember what type of flowers to visit, where to find them, which flowers they have recently drained of nectar, and how to find their way back to the hive. Aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, the bees are fine. That's now I've told you about the bees.
1: Same to safe to meter. Same, same to safe to meet her.
2: Where the hell's that hive? It's around here someplace. Nuclear waste plants could be built in that na- <laughs> it gets better. Could be built in national parks. In Britain. Don't 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 worry. Not in the United States. We wouldn't Oh maybe we would. Um uh, this according to a um member of the British government, talking to members of Parliament like they do. Richard Harrington, junior business and industry minister. Well, it doesn't mean anything until the senior ones. He was grilled by the Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy Committee on whether the government's new draft nuclear waste disposal guidance should permit such facilities, nuclear waste facilities, in national parks and areas of outstanding natural beauty. It seems obvious, doesn't it? That's where you'd want your nuclear waste dump put? In an area of outstanding natural beauty? The committee is conducting an inquiry into the new guidance which is designed to govern the determination of nuclear waste disposal planning applications. This is according to Utility Week. They should know. The government has asked local areas to volunteer to host the facilities. You'd like one in your neighborhood, wouldn't you? This this would be the, the, the NIMBY of all NIMBYs if I read my NIMBYs right. The uh, facilities will be required to store the waste from the planned new wave of nuclear plants. Let's surf that wave right now, shall we? No, it's not much of a wa- uh, Not a surf today. Harrington said we have to look at all possible sites where communities want it. It would be very wrong to exclude them at the moment. He has a good sense of right and wrong, this guy. But he's a junior minister, so what do you? He said the, response, the acceptability of the individual facilities would depend on the impact it had on the landscape of the area. He cited a new potash mine in North North Yorkshire, which has involved very little surface development, as an example of what can be achieved in an environmentally sensitive location. And I'm sure the waste just goes nowhere near waterways. If it was a huge one kil, kilometer industrial building in the middle of a national park, that wouldn't be acceptable, says Harrington. He also rejected concerns that the government is gambling on communities' willingness to host the nuclear waste facilities, said a member of the committee, parliamentary member, member of parliament. Having a bottom-up approach might lead us to no facility at all. Harrington said he didn't believe that would happen. There's got to be some community desperate, I mean, no, he didn't say that. It's not a gamble. We're working on the assumption with current policy that there will be willing communities you know, ones where all the plants have been shut down and nobody can find... No, he didn't say that. If there were no willing communities, he added, the government will have to consider alternatives, like national parks that don't want it. And the uh, nuclear plant in Ohio, davis Bessie, is scheduled to close within three years, so that'll be... the. Uh, not really decommissioning could take up to 60 years. After that, a regulated radioactive fuel storage facility will remain on the site indefinitely. That's according to Energy News. You know how long indefinitely is, right? Okay, just checking. I know you forgot about the B memory. First Energy's generation subsidiaries announced plans to shut down Davis-Bessey and two other nuclear plants three days before filing for bankruptcy. These coincidences are so nutty I dealing with radioactive fuel and waste, decontamination, and demolition all will take decades. And I'm sure they'll just keep on top of it because they're bankrupt. <laughs> Clean, cheap, too bankrupt a meter. our friend the atom. And that brings us to the apologies of the week. If that ain't a segue, I don't know what it is.
3: We're
2: so sorry. Well, it could be an e-scooter. Dayline Chicago Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle offered an apology this week to a woman seen on video being verbally attacked by a man because she was wearing a Puerto Rican flag T-shirt while a Chicago Forest Preserve District officer stood by and watched. Hey, look, the thing. In the video, a man demands to know why the woman is wearing a shirt displaying the Puerto Rican flag. He asks her whether she's an American citizen. Apparently oblivious to the fact that Puerto Rico is a part of the United States, you should not be wearing that in the United States of America. The man tells her. The incident in June came to light Monday and attracted the attention of the governor of Puerto Rico, who tweeted about it. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be tweeting about the um, the water and the electricity and the thing, sir. Me myself, speaking. At an event, Preckwinkle called the incident completely unacceptable, offering her apologies to the victim for the terrible experience. We've worked hard over the last seven and a half years to make the Forest Preserve District a welcoming place for all. The incident is completely unacceptable. I apologize to the young woman. I'm troubled by the response of the initial officer on the scene. The district is investigating. The officer has been assigned to desk duty, pending the outcome of the investigation. Well, if he's just going to sit and watch, desk duty is the place to do it. Now, over to the Philippines. You know, President Rodrigo Duterte is sort of the Donald Trump of the Philippines. Bluntly spoken, new chief executive who uh, ordered a crackdown on crime, which involved police killing a lot of alleged drug traffickers. We'll never know, of course. But uh, he has apologized now to God because there's been public backlash over his rant against God. The president told Christian evangelist Brother Eddie Villanueva in Malacanang, thank you, that he said he was sorry to God after calling immediately, after calling God stupid. That sparked public outrage and prompted a day of prayer for Catholics. Please, Lord, be smart. If we have the same God, I'm sorry. That's how it is. Sorry, God. I said, sorry, God. If God is taken in a general term by everybody listening, then that's well and good, the president told Villanueva. Villanueva had demanded that the president publicly apologize to God. Otherwise, the Lord's wrath would come upon the country and Filipinos. We wouldn't want that. But maybe he's so stupid he couldn't find the Philippines. Duterte didn't say that. Papa John's founder, John Schnatter, has resigned as chairman of the board of Papa John's after admitting and apologizing for using the N-word during a May conference call. Shares the Pisa chain surged after his comments. Oh, uh, after he he resigned. Papa John's said it will appoint a new chairman, and its advertising, marketing, packaging, and branding going forward will not feature Papa John. There'll be no Papa John at Papa John's. News of Schnatter's resignation came shortly after Major League Baseball indefinitely suspended the Papa Slam promotion. The conference call came to light in May. The, the, the conference call happened in May. It came to light after Forbes magazine detailed the incident this week. The report, which later confirmed by Schnatter, said he was on a call with his marketing agency when he tried to downplay comments he made about the National Football League last fall by saying, hey, Colonel Sanders called Black's Ends and never faced any public backlash at KFC. <laughs> Schneider added that people used to drag African Americans from trucks until they died. Although his comment was apparently intended to convey his distaste for racism, Forbes said multiple people on the call were offended. The call was part of media training for Schneider to prevent future public relations fumbles. There's your karma train coming into the station right there. News reports attributing the use of inappropriate and hurtful language to me during a media training session regarding race are true. Schnatter said in a statement released by Papa John's before they refused to have anything more to do with him. Regardless of the context, I apologize. Simply stated, racism has no place in our society. The University of Louisville has announced it is renaming Papa John's Stadium and a Papa John School of Business there, too. It's bye-bye, Papa. Domago Vida has apologized for a video posted on social media in which he said glory to Ukraine after Croatia's win over Russia in the World Cup. He is a defender for Croatia. He apologized after his team's win over England because uh, spectators in Moscow's stadium in the match with England began jeering him every time he touched the ball. He he drew the wrath of Russians because, for videos posted online in which he said "glory to Ukraine," um, recorded after Croatia's victory over Russia. I know I made a mistake, and I would like to apologize again to Russian people. He said, in an interview with state television. Is there any other kind? I'm sorry. That's life. You have to learn from your mistakes. He said. He said he did not intend for the message to be a political statement. He formerly played for Dynamo Kyiv, in uh, Ukraine. Our attention was not to offend anyone. I sincerely hope that this message will not be understood as anything else but an expression of gratitude to our friends in Ukraine for their support, he said. Man of Steel star Henry Cavill has apologized after coming up against sizable social media criticism for an interview in which he appeared to conflate flirting with rape. Speaking to GQ Australia, the star of Mission Impossible Fallout. <laughs> discussed the Me Too movement before moving on to flirting, where he suggested he was reluctant to approach women for fear of getting accused of sexual assault. Maybe recalibrate your flirting technique would be... After those comments were met with backlash, Cavill's representative issued a statement to The Hollywood Reporter in which the actor said, I want to apologize for any confusion and misunderstanding his comments may have caused. Insensitivity was absolutely not my intention. In light of this, I would just like to clarify and confirm to all that I've and always will continue to hold women in the highest regard, no matter the type of relationship, whether it be friendship, professional, or a significant other. Unquote Henry Cavill. Daylight Casper, Wyoming, in a statement read at all Catholic masses last Sunday in Wyoming. The state's highest clergyman apologized to victims of priest abuse, provided details to a statewide flock about the allegations facing one of his predecessors. The abuse crisis in the church has been devastating, Bishop Stephen Bigler wrote in his letter, As a diocese, we've made a commitment to protect and heal, to protect the vulnerable from sexual abuse and to heal victims and their families. This is less than a week after the Diocese of Cheyenne announced that an independent investigation had concluded that former Bishop Joseph Hart had sexually abused two Wyoming boys. He first denied faced allegations in 2002, the year after he retired. And, oh, uh, in that case... The district attorney office had said the allegation had no merit, but then a second alleged victim surfaced sometime after last December when the diocese hired a private investigator to look into the allegations. He discovered new evidence. Hart, the priest, had previously faced allegations in Kansas City where he was a priest for 20 years before moving to Casper. Then he moved to Cheyenne and becoming bishop. He denied all allegations. Bigler, though, the bishop, calls the allegations credible and substantiated. And he's sorry. And speaking of which, the principal of Tidings of Peace Christian School in York, Pennsylvania, has apologized for an online post in which he talked about training York children to be quiet, clean, and orderly. This was in the principal's welcome section. Many be- people who live outside the city believe that urban children are allowed dirty and unruly, wrote Clayton Shank, the school's principal. He added, this is the 25th year we've been training urban children to not only present themselves in pleasing outward behavior but also to yield themselves to jesus christ our lord sandra thompson a york attorney and president of the local naacp said this gets tiring we understand the code word urban your county received national attention recently for racially charged incidents like the treatment of five black golfers sandra thompson was one of the golfers school officials changed the website and schenk apologized I thank you for pointing out the error in my wording i 'm sincerely sorry that I used words that I offended people i'm here to serve i 'm here to serve please forgive me by god 's grace. I will do better in the future. Wrote shank the apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen copyright and feature of this broadcast. <laughs> And from outside the bubble, you know we're helping uh, the Saudis in their battle against the Houthi rebels rebels in Yemen this week, Amnesty International accused the United Arab, Arab Emirates and its allied Yemeni forces, which is the side we're supporting, of torturing detainees in a network of secret prisons in southern Yemen. wonder where they got that idea. Secret prisons. Hmm mean blacks oh ladies and gentlemen that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show the program returns next week at the same time over these same audio devices of choice unless you decide to tune in later and it'd be just like all of us staying in character if you'd agree to join with me then would you already thank you very much uh-huh a tip of the show chapeau to the san diego pittsburgh chicago not in exile and hawaii desks Thanks to Pam Halstead and to Garrett Pittman here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, and the playlist of the music you are hearing, all at harrysharer.com. And I'm on the Twitter at the Shearer. show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions. It originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from New Orleans.